Elon Musk tweets in favor of assisted suicide. But what are the effects of this policy in Canada, elsewhere, and how should Christians think about this topic? Kamala Harris and Joe Biden celebrate abortion and vow to fight for it. Can Christians really vote for this party, these people, in good conscience? You can probably guess what I think, and I'll tell you why. And then we'll discuss the 2008 Supreme Court case that prevents true justice for child victims of sex abuse. This episode is all about protecting vulnerable image bearers. I've got a lot to say, as you can see by the length of this episode. So Buckle up. We've got a ton to talk about. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Promo code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. If you're watching this on YouTube and you see that I'm still in my jacket, which is not normal when I'm actually delivering my podcast, it is because it is frigid in this studio and I don't know why. I mean, it's got to be like in the 50s in here. Honestly, I feel like Jack falling off the door and the Titanic after it sunk. It is so cold, so I had to keep my jacket on um, during my podcast today, and I I hope that's okay for you all. So we've got a lot to talk about today, as you saw or as you uh, heard in the open, and I know it's a lot of serious and uh, deep and in some cases dark stuff, but we are going to have some breaks in between some of the more grave and morose things that we're talking about. So we're not only down in the mud, all very important things to talk about, though. And of course, there will be reminders throughout and especially at the end of the supremacy of Christ and the sovereignty of God and our role as salt and light in the midst of all of the darkness and decay that we see in the world today. So to start out, because this weekend was the 50th anniversary, I don't even know if you want to use that word, but of the decision of Roe v. Wade, um, almost half a century that the decision of Roe v. Wade was in place saying that abortion to up to a certain point in pregnancy is a constitutional right. Obviously, as we've talked about many times, the Dobbs v. Jackson decision that was decided by the Supreme Court earlier this year, it overturned that saying, well, no, actually, there's nowhere in the Constitution that says that abortion is some kind of right. And so the states, the Supreme Court decided, should be able to decide their own abortion legislation, which, of course, states before were already deciding their abortion legislation, but they were not allowed, according to Roe v. Wade, to completely Uh, get rid of abortion or even get rid of abortion um, to the point where it was too difficult for a woman to be able to abort her child. So there were a lot of restrictions on the kinds of legislation that states could pass prior to the Dobbs decision. And now states have a lot more latitude to actually prohibit abortion all together. And so praise God for that. I know that there's so much vitriol. There's so much hostility. I spoke, I was in DC uh, for a, a short period, less than 24 hours this weekend, speaking to a packed room of students at a Students for Life 
event and I just talked to them about understanding the pressure and even sadness that sometimes we feel even as we are celebrating the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But as we look to see what our peers say, what our friends and even family members are sharing on social media, pro-abortion propaganda, even our friends and colleagues and peers who call themselves Christians saying that it's actually important that dismembering and poisoning children uh, be legal to somehow protect women's rights or to protect women's safety. And they're just falling for lie after lie. It can be very disheartening. We want to celebrate the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But when we see so many people are still caught in this confusion and, and darkness, it can also make us sad. And then also many of us, especially those of you who are still students and who are younger than me and you're dealing with this kind of ubiquitous pressure constantly to conform to the ways of this world like you're being intimidated you're being bullied you're being excluded you're being rejected and sometimes you're being punished whether it's at school or whether you're being socially punished by your friend group or whether it's at work, like it can be really difficult to stand for all of the issues that cause us to be human salmon, as we say, swimming upstream, but especially when it comes to this issue of abortion. And it really shouldn't be like it really shouldn't be controversial to say, I believe that all humans have human rights, the most fundamental being the right to not be murdered. And because babies inside the womb are scientifically, objectively human, I believe that they should have that right too. And we shouldn't be stripping them of that right to life just because of their location. They happen to reside in their mother's womb just because of their size. They happen to be small just because of their age. They happen to be young just because of their stage of development or their ability to defend themselves. They happen to be vulnerable. All of these are very arbitrary reasons to say that someone shouldn't be legally protected against brutal murder. Because if you applied any of those reasons to someone outside of the womb, you would be seen as akin to a Nazi. And rightfully so. If you said that you don't believe that smaller people have the same right to life as bigger people or younger people don't have the same right to life as older people or less developed people don't have the same right to life as more developed people or someone who has a hard life who is poor or abused or in a vulnerable position doesn't have the same right to life as older people like that would be really brutal, correct? Like that would be immoral. We would all agree whether you consider yourself pro-choice or not, that that would be really bad. And yet, don't you see that that's the pro-life logic? You're saying that for some reason, those babies inside the womb because of their size, because of their location, because of their stage of development, because of their inability to speak up or their inability to fight back, those are all reasons why they should not be protected under the law against murder. Do you believe that a baby outside of the womb should be dismembered while they're wiggling and living? Do you believe that it should be legal for a doctor to insert a chemical combination that is poison into a wiggling born baby's heart so that they suffer cardiac arrest and die? Do you think that a baby outside of the womb should be able to be given a, uh, a pill that poisons them and starves them until they shrivel up and die? I'm sure you don't. I'm sure you who consider yourself pro-life or pro-choice rather, who says that you're compassionate, that you care about all life, that you care um, about 
that you care uh, about taking care of the most vulnerable, I'm sure that you would be against a toddler receiving that kind of treatment or even a newborn receiving that kind of treatment, right? And so ask yourself, what changes between that born baby and that unborn baby that you are okay with that living baby being dismembered with forceps? Ask yourself, what changes really? Why do you think that a baby inside the womb should be forced into cardiac arrest or should be poisoned to death using an abortion pill? Why is it different? Again, size, location, age, stage of development. What is so magical about the vaginal canal, about the womb that suddenly gives rights to a child to where it is grotesque if those things happen outside of the womb, but it's a choice if it happens inside the womb. Understand that that is morally, ethically, logically inconsistent. And I have confronted every single abortion argument out there. I have sat before Congress. I have sat next to an abortionist who has aborted probably thousands and thousands of babies in her career. She was the director of Planned Parenthood in St. Louis. And so I have heard the most sophisticated pro-abortion, pro-choice arguments out there. They're all stupid. They are. They're all stupid. They're all illogical. They're all irrational. They're all immoral. The only consistent and logical one that I've heard, and most of you out there who consider yourselves pro-choice, you wouldn't admit this because you know how bad it sounds. The only logical and consistent argument that I have heard for abortion, which is morally repugnant, but at least it's consistent, is yes, it's a human. Yes, it's killing. Yes, it's violent. Yes, it's brutal. And yes, it's a different standard for babies inside the womb than people outside of the womb, but it's okay. And it's okay because they would say a woman's right to choose or a woman's so-called bodily autonomy is more important than that human being's right to life. That's the only consistent one that I've heard. And you know what? At least that's honest. And I've heard there are some leftists who consider themselves pro-abortion. Shout your abortion. Those people do exist, by the way. Don't be deluded into thinking that no one is pro-abortion. There are whole organizations dedicated to being unabashedly pro-abortion. That's the only consistent argument. And by the way, even if you don't identify with that argument as a pro-choicer, that is what you think. That is the core of what you believe. You would never admit that, but that is what you are saying. If you believe it should be illegal to kill a baby, which I'm sure that you do, a six-month-old baby, say, outside of the womb, you think that that's murder, right? You think that the person that does that, that dismembers that baby, that brutally murders that baby should be able to go to jail? If you are for that, for a baby inside the womb, what you believe is that it is okay to murder children. Just for some reason, you make a distinction based on something as silly and arbitrary and superficial as location. Just understand that. And no point about, well, we need more in our welfare system. We need better sex education or we need, you know, to take, we need universal maternity leave. All right, let's debate all of those issues. Let's put them on the table and debate all of those issues and see, okay, what can help these vulnerable families the most? But all of those are really red herrings. 
None of those things, even if we had no safety net, no security, no help, no charity, nothing at all for vulnerable families, it would not justify your stance that sometimes it's okay to kill babies. You would still be immoral, unethical, inconsistent, illogical, irrational. All right? So just confront it. Confront it in your head. Confront it in your heart. I don't care if you have considered yourself a pro-choice feminist forever. I believe that you are, if you consider yourself pro-choice, listening to this podcast for a reason. God is working on your heart and mind. And if you are a Christian, if you are a true Christian, he will not allow you to be pro-choice forever. Ayo, controversial to say. He won't. If you are truly justified by grace through faith and you are a Christian and you fancy yourself to be pro-choice, God will sanctify you out of that belief eventually. So I'm not doubting your salvation because I don't know your heart. I believe you can be a Christian because all of us have been Christians and have believed something wrong at some point. Like I used to think that the prosperity gospel was fine. I didn't even know what's wrong with Joel Osteen. I didn't know, but I don't think that I wasn't a Christian. It just took time for God to sanctify me of some false beliefs. It took the accountability of other people. It took God's word to sanctify me of things that are wrong. And he's still doing that, by the way. There are probably plenty of things that I think that I am right on that God will sanctify me of in conformity to his word. And if you, if you believe that the killing of babies inside the womb, because that is what they are, you can call it fetus. How often are you using Latin, by the way, in other areas of your life? You're just using fetus to try to dehumanize what is a human baby inside the womb. If you believe that that should be legal and you are a true believer, God will change your heart and mind. You will not be able to hold on to that calloused and worldly belief forever. So just take a deep breath and start to let it go. All right. You don't have to be a part of this brutal regime of the murder of children anymore. Okay. You do not have to carry the legacy that pagans have been carrying for thousands and thousands of years that includes child sacrifice. You don't have to be on the side of Malak anymore. You don't. And if you have been, or if you've had an abortion and that's part of what's stopping you from being against abortion, there's forgiveness and there's grace and there's redemption for you. You are not too far gone. You've never, you haven't done anything too bad or too much to be forgiven or to be reconciled or to be welcomed. It's not hypocrisy to be anti-abortion if you have those things in your past you are graciously learning from your experience and from your testimony to be on the side of righteousness and truth it is satan who is trying to convince you that it's hypocrisy to stand for righteousness because at one point you were unrighteous no it is a testimony to christ's goodness and his relentless pursuit of us when we stand for righteousness knowing that we ourselves are without christ unrighteous all right so come on to the side of truth and let me just say a, a, a few things um, about abortion quickly. And I've talked about this probably more than any other subject. I've got a million podcast episodes on it. If you want to know in depth, like I've responded to every single argument, we'll include links to past episodes um, in the description of this. But let me just say being for abortion or being for the legal choice of abortion, I'm speaking as a Christian, is being against three key things among 
other things. One, it's being against truth, both scientific truth and biblical truth. It's being against scientific truth because scientifically that is a unique life at conception. It's got its own unique DNA. It's not the same as an organ. It's not um, a parasite. All of my organs have my DNA in my DNA only. That's child at the moment of conception, at the moment of conception has its own DNA. Its sex is already determined. It's got all of its qualities already determined. All it needs is time in order to become a fully developed baby that is ready to live outside of the womb. But at no point is it not a human. If it's not a human, which so many people irrationally argue, then it's got to be something else. What is it? Tervis tumbler, summer squash, light bulb, a cheetah, an elephant, No, it's a human. It's always been a human. It is always going to be a human. It can't be anything else. So from the moment of conception, that is a human being. So to be for abortion, unless you are for murder in all stages of life, is anti-truth. Scientifically, it's also anti-biblical truth. Most of you know this passage, Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, of, uh, written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God is intricately, purposely knitting every child together in their mother's womb for us to destroy uh, destroy uh, that handiwork. It's blasphemy. It's also against to be pro-abortion or pro the choice of abortion is to be anti-compassion. And I, I just want to read you some passages that I, I thought were interesting. I've never thought of this before. Um, that there are so many passages that refer to Christians as little children. Of course, we know that in Matthew 19, God is calling the little children to himself. So we see that kind of compassion and mercy that wasn't really bestowed on this class of people um, back uh, in this era. It was really Christianity. When Christianity came on the scene, it revolutionized what cultures thought about the vulnerable groups. So children, the elderly widows, women, infirm, like we changed, radicalized, revolutionized what the world thought about these previously discarded groups. And we said, no, these are people made in God's image. These are people who have just as much value as, you know, a king or a warrior. And so that starts really with how scripture talks about children, specifically how Jesus talks about children. Um, Matthew 19, 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And yes, he's talking specifically to little children, but we also see throughout scripture that we Christians are all referred to as little children. What does that say about how God sees little children? That his love for us and his compassion for us as little children Um, is to be reflected in our treatment of little children. It's a metaphor. It's a a parallel. We see in 
John 13, 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. That is Jesus, again, referring to his followers as little children. Galatians 4, 19, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That is a letter to the church in Galatia. First John 2, 1. First John talks about us as little children over and over again. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. First John 2, 12. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. First John 2, 28. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. First John 3, 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. First John 3, 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. First John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. First John 5, 21. Little children. Children, keep yourselves from idols. In Matthew 7, we see Jesus say that a good father gives his son what he is asking for, what he actually needs. And if human beings who are evil can give their sons good things, then can't God, who is good, give his children good things? And then also in 1 John, I missed this one. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So in all of these cases, God is referring to his people that he has bought with a price, with the blood of his son as little children, as meant to be a reflection of or a parallel to the compassionate and merciful relationship between an earthly father and his children. So we see not just a depiction of the heavenly father's love, but really also what um, the earthly relationship between parents and children should reflect and should look like. It is one of goodness and generosity and compassion. Can abortion, uh, can abortion be described that way? It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite of what parenthood is supposed to reflect. And then lastly, being pro the choice of abortion is against humility. Ecclesiastes 11.5, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones and the womb of a, of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And so when we're about to close out this segment, it's a lot longer than I thought, but you know, when I get on this subject, it's really hard for me to stop talking about it because I'm so passionate about changing people's mind. And by the way, by the grace of God, this podcast has changed many people's minds on abortion. Again, by the grace of God, I don't take credit for that. I'm not patting myself on the back, but I get messages consistently that someone who is holding on to their pro-choice views listen to this podcast and God changed their mind on it. So all of that in mind, listen to our devoutly Catholic, apparently, president. He says, today, he tweeted this, Today should have been the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Instead, MAGA Republican officials are waging a war on women's on women's right to make their own health care decisions. But this fight isn't over. Tell me what other kind of health care includes the murder of a human being. Can you think of one? I wouldn't consider that health care. So he says this fight is not over. His administration is making sure to secure the unfettered, unrestricted, and taxpayer-subsidized dismemberment of children. Let me just say, you cannot, as a Christian, 
vote for this person or this party. You can't. I mean, you can. I don't think that is going to necessarily, I mean, that doesn't revoke your salvation. As I said, God can sanctify us out of a lot of things. Um, and so we make stupid decisions as Christians all the time. So I'm not saying that you're not a Christian, but you cannot be in alignment with what we know about the value of life and about biblical principles and vote for this person. You cannot. You simply cannot. They're pro-death. They're pro-murder of the most vulnerable and defenseless group. You cannot justify voting for this person. There is no excuse for it. I know there's a lot. There's a whole pro-all-life womb-to-tomb movement that I don't disagree with them on everything, but I think they water down the anti-abortion part of being pro-life by saying, oh, no, we got to be pro-welfare. We got to be pro, you know, uh, liberal immigration policies, all these things that I don't think work or are compassionate. By the way, they lump all of this in and really water down the anti-abortion part to basically say, oh, you don't have to vote Republican in order to be pro-life. Look, I, I'm not going to say that you're not pro-life if you vote Democrat or you don't vote Republican, but Roe v. Wade was overturned by justices who are appointed by Republican presidents. The Dobbs decision was decided because of legislation that was written by Republican legislators was signed by a Republican governor who were all voted in by Republican voters. Every piece of pro-life legislation that you've seen on the federal level or you've seen at the state level has been written by Republicans. And so if you are not voting Republican as a pro-lifer, I mean, of course, that's your right. And you have the ability to do that. But just know that your role in the fight to legally protect unborn children is as an obstacle. You are an impediment in that fight to legally protect babies. Because right now, it is only Republicans who are legislatively trying to fight against abortion. I mean, sure, maybe you can vote for a pro-life Democrat. Maybe there's a pro-life independent out there. Maybe you're someone who doesn't vote. Maybe you're not voting Democrat, but you're just not voting for Republicans still. Like, I don't think you should vote for a pro-choice Republican either. So I'm not saying Republicans are perfect by any means or that there aren't any other issues that you should care about. Just understand, if you call yourself pro-life and you are voting Democrat, you are actively working for the legal slaughter of babies and working against the legal protection of babies. Just understand that. I'm not discounting your other efforts. Like, I, I, I appreciate your protest. I appreciate your persuasion. I appreciate your compassion, which I believe is real. But if you are voting for Joe Biden or really anyone in the Democrat Party, unless they are explicitly pro-life and anti-abortion, you are working for the advancement of the legal protection of abortion and not the legal protection of babies. So just understand that, that you are standing in contradiction through your vote in what the, what you say you stand for. And by the way, like, I don't think that Democrats in other ways, like some people say, well, Democrats are helping in these ways. Republicans might be against abortion, but, you know, Democrats are helping people outside the womb. Are they? I don't think that. Like, if I look at the policies where Democrats, like where Democrats reign and rule, I don't see them helping the poor. I don't see them helping the marginalized. I don't see them helping the immigrant. I don't. I actually see their policies as directly working against the well-being of these groups. Like, I don't see their policies helping black people. I don't see their policies helping what you consider to be marginalized 
and oppressed groups. I actually think that they make them a lot worse. Their crime policy, their economic policy, their immigration policy, their abortion policy actually directly hurts all of these groups. So I don't even see the argument at all saying, well, you know, it's hard to say because one's, you know, pro-life after uh, birth and one's pro-life before birth. I don't see how the Democrat Party is that at all. So I don't think that's a good argument. And if you want to know how to bust the silly myth that Democrat presidents actually reduce abortion, which is so silly, if people just thought for like 0.5 seconds about anything, they would be like, oh, no, that's probably not a good argument. I've got a post on Instagram about that. I've got an episode about that. It's called Do Democrats Decrease Abortions? I will link it in the description of this episode. It's not true. We can bust that myth. All right. Okay. Now, <laughs> this went so much longer than I thought it was going to. This is supposed to be like a 10-minute segment. And we'll, we'll get to the other stuff. It might be a little longer episode, and we won't spend as much time on the other issues. But, okay, let, let me pause for, uh, for an ad before we get into this Kamala Harris stuff. Um, I mean, it is. It has to do with abortion. I just want to play you these, like, clips really fast. But um, let me tell you about our Let me tell you about our first sponsor for the day before we talk about our dear vice president. All right. First sponsor for the day is Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered right to your front door. We have been loving Good Ranchers. I mean, really for the past almost two years now, but especially lately. I mean, we had kind of like a resolution not just to eat healthier, but also to um, just eat at home more. Like we had just gotten into the habit towards the end of last year of just like being lazy and ordering food and it's just kind of a waste of money and then it's cooked in all of these oils that are not healthy for you and we have a bunch of meat in our freezer and we're like you know what no we're not going to be eating out all the time anymore we need to eat really what we like best which is good ranchers so this weekend let's see we had our scallops, we had, um, I think, some rockfish, and we had salmon, we had New York strip steaks, we had all kinds of good, good ranchers. This weekend, we had hamburgers one night. I mean, so we really have enjoyed just kind of getting creative with what we're, with what we're making when it comes to good ranchers, and it just saves us so much time, so much energy, so much money, by the way. It is absolutely worth it, and I love that all of their meat is from America. That makes me feel really good. Um, you can use my code Allie at checkout for an additional $20 off your first box of America's best meat and seafood. So if you go to GoodRanchers.com, use discount code Allie, you can save an additional $20 off your first box of America's best meat and seafood. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. Okay, sweet Kamala. Uh, let's see what she has to say to her adoring fans on Twitter in a Roe v. Wade video. Today, we should be celebrating the 50th anniversary of the decision in Roe v. Wade. Instead, after the Supreme Court took a constitutional right from the people of America, we are looking at a situation where extremist so-called leaders in states around our country are depriving women of the right to have access to reproductive health care. This is a moment for us all to stand for freedom and liberty for every person, for every woman, everywhere. Mm, uh, Y'all couldn't see me, but I was I was laughing because, OK, as someone who does videos, 
And there are plenty of times where I make mistakes, all right? I make plenty of mistakes. We have a great editor. When I do, you know, those reaction videos and things like that, I have to start over. The <laughs> and at one point, she literally said one word and they had to do a jump cut after that. I'm sorry. That just made, that just made me laugh. It just made me laugh. That was like a 15 second video and she couldn't like, do you not have a teleprompter? Do you not have a script? I just think that, Oh my gosh, one of the biggest mistakes probably was the Biden administration tapping her as the VP because of her inability to communicate well. I'm not saying that she's not, you know, some people are gonna be like, oh, that's disrespectful to like one of our leaders. Okay, come on. If my making fun of Kamala Harris and her inability to communicate makes you more upset than the fact that she is trying to cheerfully advocate for the slaughter of unborn children... Come on now. I think it's okay to just say that she's not the best. Uh, she's not the best rhetorician. Is that a word? I think so. In the world. Uh, she's just not the best communicator. And it's so funny to me how she is talking about the importance of freedom and liberty and rights. First of all, she says for women. Isn't that interesting that you still see when they're talking about abortion that they use this feminine specific um language isn't that interesting and yet they will still say like pregnant people and different things like that in other contexts and um that she's talking about freedom and liberty what about the freedom to not be murdered here she is she was actually in tallahassee florida uh over the weekend saying you know talking about ron DeSantis and talking about the importance of abortion here she is can we truly be free if so-called leaders claim to be, quote, I quote, on the vanguard of freedom, while they dare to restrict the rights of the American people and attack the very foundations of freedom. The very foundations of freedom. Freedom includes the ability to kill a person. Okay, then we shouldn't have any laws at all. If like included in freedom is the right to violate someone else's right to live the most fundamental right there is, then we shouldn't have any laws. That's that logic there. I think it's interesting that she's in the state of Florida because I think she knows that there's probably um, some change coming down the pipeline when it comes to abortion restriction in Florida, which I think is amazing. And Ron DeSantis has released a couple statements about life recently on December 15th. Um, he he said this, I'm willing to sign great life legislation. That's what I've always said I would do. At the end of the day, government was instituted for certain reasons to protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He's absolutely right about that. I hope that the Florida state legislature um, pushes some really good life legislation that protects the dignity of unborn children. Right now in the state of Florida, I believe that the restriction is still 15 weeks. Um, and so I know that, you know, liberals freak out about that but just think about like 15 weeks gestation so i really hope that the florida legislature passes something um you know more restrictive than that i am absolutely sure that governor ron DeSantis would sign uh would sign that legislation because they have been a very pro-family and um have had a pro-life message and platform uh since the beginning and uh, they had this to say about Kamala's visit. Democrats are proudly cheerleading barbaric policies to allow unrestricted abortions, including infanticide. That's all anyone needs to know, which is absolutely true. Like, that's absolutely true. If you look at the Born Alive uh, Survivors, uh, Abortion Survivors Protection Act that was voted no 
that was completely voted against by all Democrats in Congress just a couple of weeks ago. Like they're not shy about the fact that they don't even believe babies who survive abortion um, should have any protection. And so uh, Florida leads the way on uh, on a lot of things. I think that's probably why Kamala Harris decided to show up there. This administration is threatened by Governor Ron DeSantis. They see him as a threat in a lot of ways, which they should. Um, He leads on a lot of these issues that a lot of Republicans won't lead on, you know, as far as the vaccine and medical freedom and things like that. And certainly Democrats won't either. And so they're just trying to show that contrast there, which I think personally works in Florida's favor. I think that works in Governor DeSantis's favor. All right, let's move on to this next subject. So we were talking about the beginning of life. Now we are talking about um, the end of life. But before we get into that, because I told you I wanted to add some levity to this, since we're talking about such serious subjects, I asked for, okay, is there like some kind of clip that I can react to that just like adds some add something to this. And team, I might ask for your commentary too, if you have any commentary on the bugs. So just get ready for that. So we're about to play. uh, You can't hear it. And so you'll have to be watching this on YouTube. We're about to play this like viral video about bugs in Australia. I have no idea what the clip is going to, uh, to look like. I have no idea what my reaction is going to be. I don't like bugs. So I can imagine that it's not going to be a great reaction. So let me see this viral video about bugs in Australia. These are mosquitoes after flooding in Australia. Oh, my gosh. So if you can't see this, this is like this looks like a plague. This is what Pharaoh saw when he looked outside his window and he saw one of the plagues. Oh, my goodness. That is terrible. Is it just the mosquitoes or this? Is that the is that all we got? Yeah, that's what we got. It looks like a snowstorm or something to me, almost like a just a blizzard of mosquitoes. Oh my gosh, I, you can't go outside. You, I wouldn't. No, you you literally can't. I get. I feel like you would have to wear a hazmat suit. Yeah, this is such a guy thought. But I was like, I want to take a can of like off or raid or something and light a lighter under it and just all over those mosquitoes oh my gosh it's so funny how guys just like never change you're just like from the t- like infancy i feel like boys are thinking like how can i make this chaotic situation even crazier by destroying but that could i mean that could be that could be an interesting experiment dylan maybe they need you over there and Australia to take care of the mosquito problem. Oh my goodness. I'm actually reading a book right now that is set in Australia and it's like in the early 20th century and they have to deal with all kinds of crazy, crazy bugs and heat. And then you got kangaroos. So it's just one thing on top of the other. I feel for my Australia friends, Australia friends who are listening to this, what do you do when you get a plague of um, mosquitoes and you can't go outside and you can't even go to the grocery store? What do you do? Do these mosquitoes carry viruses? That's something else I want to know. All right. Speaking of things that really disturb me, um, I want to talk about euthanasia. And the reason I want to talk about this, well, there are many reasons I want to talk about this. There are ethical and moral things and biblical things I want to talk about. But I saw this tweet by Elon Musk, and it made me, uh, it kind of just like prompted some thoughts about the uh assisted suicide or uh, euthanasia movement that is sweeping much of Europe and certainly Canada and will be here. I'm sure it will be up for vigorous debate very soon 
in the United States. And Elon Musk, even though I've always known he's not a conservative, I don't think he's some far leftist either, but I knew that he wasn't some kind of Christian conservative that holds our same values. Um, He tweeted this. So first, just to get some context, Lex Friedman, who is a podcaster, he tweeted, I hate that every awesome thing comes to an end forever. I wish it would last forever. Elon Musk said two of the worst possible curses. You will live forever. You can have anything you want. Then David Sinclair, don't know who that is. It is a human right to choose when you die. This will become a reality. And then Elon Musk says, um, well, so Elon Musk is actually responding to someone else who responded to that, who said, Peter uh, Diamandis said, do you think humans should be able to choose when they die? And then Elon says, absolutely. Freedom means freedom to die when you are sure you want to. So there are obviously some issues that I have with this. Number one, like this is the logical conclusion to atheism. Atheism, you don't stop believing in God. You just believe that that God is yourself or that God is science. It's usually scientism. It's not actually like um, observation-based science. It is some kind of ideology that believes in superstition that you call science like that something came from nothing through some kind of big bang or that the covid vaccine works or something like that that is based in what you call science but it's really more ideology than anything else these are also typically the people who believe in superstitious things like oh a baby becomes a person when they pass through the birth canal or a man can become a woman i don't think elon musk believes that a man can become a woman but Uh, many atheists too who claim that they believe in science and even that they worship science you'll hear people say trust the science you're not supposed to trust the science how many times has the science changed especially when it comes to medicine when it comes to diet when it comes to nutrition when it comes to the things that doctors and scientists recommend for people's well-being for people's health i mean People have had to die because of how many times scientists and and doctors have been wrong. And after they gaslit so many people about their concerns about some of the new quote unquote scientific findings and then, you know, come to find out they were actually wrong about whatever it was. And there's a million different examples of that, especially over the past century and a half. Um, And so this is the logical conclusion to that ideology, though that you are your own God or that technology is the God or that so-called science is the God, that there really is no higher power than the material. There's really no higher power than yourself. And autonomy is the highest value that you could have. Um, I talk about this in my book, You're Not Enough and That's Okay, that being your own God leads you to place autonomy and authenticity as your highest values. And while both of those can be good, Autonomy, being control of, in control of your body and being able to make your own choices and authenticity, not being fake, um, you know, uh, not pretending to have strengths that you don't actually have or trying to deny, you know, parts of your personality, whatever. Those things can be good, but they are not good when they are not in submission to truth, when they are not in submission to a higher power. If authenticity and, our, and autonomy are tethered to nothing higher than those things because you are your own God, then they can lead you to justify making all kinds of terrible decisions. Authenticity being your highest value can lead you to believe that your feelings dictate reality or are more important than reality. If authenticity, because you are your own God, is your highest value, then you really believe that a man can become a woman because there is no higher truth than you. Not even physical reality trumps how you feel. 
you're just being authentic and your authentic feelings get to um, uh, get to dominate everything else, even external objective scientific reality. And then if autonomy is your highest value and none of these things are subject to, say, God or biblical principles, then it could justify something like abortion. You are actually willing to sacrifice someone else, your own child, on the altar of your own autonomy, or it could lead you to make a stupid decision like assisted suicide or euthanasia. And so when you are your own God, you put authenticity and autonomy as your highest values and nothing can transcend them. Nothing can supersede them. You end up making decisions that are destructive both to yourself and to people around you. And I would include assisted suicide and euthanasia within that. I could see how someone who believes their own God thinks that this is a right, but just like all progressive ideas and all atheistic ideas, these always have consequences that in some cases, in many cases, are unforeseen. So let's talk about a couple of those. So euthanasia right now is a big topic of conversation in um, uh, in Canada. This is something that is being pushed very hard. It is uh, typically referred to as made and made is medical assistance in dying. So just like all things, like when leftists talk about abortion, they say like bodily autonomy or they say reproductive freedom or reproductive rights or ending a pregnancy. They always have to use euphemisms to cover up what they're actually talking about, because what they're actually talking about is um, is brutal. I mean, we're talking about murder here because we have a doctor who is actually killing someone. And um, so in Canada, this is a, uh, a big thing that's happening. There are some eligibility requirements that you have to be a Canadian uh, citizen. You have to be at least 18 years old and mentally competent. Again, how do you even judge what is mental competence or not? An 18 year old is not actually mentally competent. To make this because your frontal lobe hasn't been developed and it won't be developed until you're the age of 25. Not that I think that it's justified after that either, but um, you're not mentally competent when you're 18 years old. So we already see how these standards could give way to really bad things. Um, you have to have a grievous or, uh, or irremediable uh, medical condition, which requires the person to meet all the following requirements, have a serious illness, disease or disability. Um excluding a mental illness until March 17th, 2023. So in March of 2023, uh, a couple months from now, apparently in Canada, if you have a mental illness, you are going to be able to get assisted suicide. You're going to be able to be euthanized. So that already gets rid of any pretense of a standard that they have when they say you have to be mentally competent in order to make this decision. So like, do you not already see how, okay, so if someone has bipolar disorder or someone has some kind of other mental illness, how they could be persuaded either by a doctor or by someone in their life to be killed like they're not able to make that decision. So what if their family or the group home that they're in or the medical system, the socialized medical system in Canada just doesn't want this person as a burden anymore and convinces them, you know what, it's going to be really hard to get your medicine from now on because we're having supply chain issues. Or you know what, you've never been able to find someone who loves you. you. You haven't been able to keep a job. Is it really worth living? Aren't you really sad? Aren't you really depressed? Of course, uh, there are going to be people who make money 
off of this. And so do you not see how it can go that direction? And this is the problem, as we've talked about many times with like consent based morality. That, oh, if someone says they want to do something, if someone says yes to something, then that means it's okay. Oh, who cares? If an adult, if someone consents to something, then that means it's ethically right. Consent-based morality is really flimsy. Just because someone says yes to something doesn't mean it's right. That's why when people say, oh, who cares if Cardi B is, you know, dancing like this or putting out this music video, it's not objectification because she's doing it herself. Well, just because she's self-objectifying doesn't mean it's objectification, doesn't mean it's right. That's why I say there's no such thing as ethical or acceptable porn, because I don't care if the people on camera are uh, consenting to it. It's still wrong because of what it does to the individual that is both performing, the individual that is consuming, what it does to society as a whole, what it does when you create demand for this kind of thing. It leads to all kinds of exploitation and it's just wrong. It's wrong. It's toxic for society. So I don't really care if someone says, yes, they want to be euthanized. Like consent based morality isn't enough. Consent might be one part. It, it is one piece of morality. I'm not saying consent never matters. But just like I said, autonomy has to be subject to something higher. Like consent is one part of uh, one piece of morality as a whole. And we have to have an objective standard of what is right and what is wrong. But when you get rid of that objective standard of right and wrong, that is when consent is put primary. So whatever someone consents to do, it must be fine. And no one has the right to say anything about it. But you see where the slippery slope goes, right? There are all kinds of egregious things that people can consent to that are harmful for them and harmful to society because of what it leads to that we should not be okay with. I mean, Every law that we have on the books says um, is there because we don't believe that consent is enough to say right or wrong. There are plenty of things that people may consent to do. They might consent to speed on a highway. They might consent to all kinds of destructive things that we say, I don't care if you want to do that. You can't do that because we think it's bad for you and we think it's bad for everyone around you and to protect you and to protect the rights of other people. We are not going to allow you to do that. And so, of course, there should be laws against euthanasia. Because we believe the people are made in the image of God. They are endowed with certain rights by their creator, among them being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There should never be any help towards ending uh, the life of a human being just because they say that they want to. Of course not. But of course, this is where it goes when you no longer believe that people are made in the image of God. You don't believe that they have innate worth. You believe that everyone is a clump of cells. You believe that everyone is just an accidental clump of matter. I don't think people realize like, how much we are giving up as a society when we decide to forego Christianity as our basis of morality. Like you think that we're going to have charity. You think we're going to have compassion. You think that we're going to have human rights after Christianity is marginalized forever. You don't get those things. We know what pre-Christianity looked like. It wasn't good. Post-Christianity won't look good either. It will be, it will be very similar to Nazi Germany in that People who are undesirable, people who are weak, will either be aborted or euthanized. That's how it goes when you don't believe that everyone has equal worth and is made in the image of God. I don't really care if this is freedom. I think that there should be restrictions on freedom. Everyone who doesn't believe in anarchy believes that too. And there are lots of examples of this being of propaganda, of um assisted suicide being pushed especially on minors and people feeling like they are being pressured into euthanasia so we already know where it's going to go 
Let me pause to tell you about our next sponsor for the day. And that is Carly Jean Los Angeles. Love Carly Jean. You guys know I've been talking about them for a long time. I'm wearing Carly Jean jeans right now. If you're watching on YouTube, we can show you. Yep, got my Carly Jean jeans on. I love these. These are super cute and they're really comfortable. They're really stretchy. A lot of you have been asking, oh, do they have maternity jeans? And I don't think they have any maternity specific jeans. But as someone who has worn their jeans through two pregnancies now, I can tell you that they last for a long time through your pregnancy because they're so stretchy and comfortable. And somehow they're so stretchy and comfortable without... um, getting loose throughout the day, which is really amazing. I love all their clothes, their basics line, made in the U.S. Carly Jean is a Christian. She's pro-life. I don't know if you saw that Madewell just put out this whole campaign about being pro-abortion. So if you don't want to worry about sending your money to someone who is then turning around and uh, giving your hard-earned dollars to organizations that are slaughtering babies, then you should switch from Madewell and those kinds of places to Carly Jean. You can use promo code B at checkout for 20% off if you go to CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com, CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. Use promo code B at checkout for 20% off, excluding final sale items, always free shipping over $100. Promo code B at CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. Okay, so I've seen a few of these stories going around. There was actually this mom who was complaining that her son, who was not a minor, but he was dealing with mental health issues. This was from the time he was like 18 to early 20s. And a doctor um, was trying to convince him to um, go through with assisted suicide. And thankfully, this mom intervened and it didn't end up happening. But this is going to be um, more and uh, this is going to be happening more and more as time goes on and as the stigma around it, stigma, by the way, is a very important in a lot of cases uh, social tool. It has been stigma is hard earned over many generations of people learning the hard way and then stigmatizing the things that don't work. Not always. But many times there should be stigma about assisted suicide. There should be stigma about many things. This whole move to destigmatize things is just a push towards moral relativism, which leads to chaos and confusion and destruction. All right. Um, Let me read you this story. Paralympian claims Canada offered to euthanize her when she asked for a stair lift. Retired Corporal uh, Christine uh, Gauthier. Uh, this is by Independent, uh, the, the Independent, which is a new site, who competed at the 2016 Rio de Janeiro Paralympics, testified on Thursday that the unnamed veterans uh, affairs caseworker had offered in writing to provide her with medically insist- assisted suicide dying device, the CBC reported again this is in canada i have a letter saying that if you're so desperate madam we can offer you made medical assistance in dying she asked for a stair lift and they were like want to die instead just a little oh you you want you ask for a stair lift i'm i'm so sorry we're out of stock do you want to be murdered hmm strange is that gonna happen is that gonna start happening like in when you go to pull up starbucks in toronto hey like do you have a I'm looking for cold brew. Oh, we don't have any cold brew. Want to die? So weird, Canada. Claims to be like this beacon of compassion. 
Um, I have a letter saying that if you're so desperate, we can offer you made medical assistance in dying. She says three other disabled veterans are believed to have been offered the same equipment, according to Global News. Testifying before the same committee last week, Canada's Veterans Minister Lawrence uh, McCauley said that as many as five instances of veterans being offered the euthanasia equipment by a Veterans Affairs official had been referred to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. He said all the cases involved a single employee who since had been suspended. Lawmakers apologized to Miss Gauthier, a five-time world champion, Para canoeist who also uh, competed in this year's Invictus Games. So this is, again, going to be something that happens more and more. We are going to see uh, people actually encouraged to commit suicide because, look, the, the socialized healthcare system and Canada and our healthcare system isn't perfect by any means either. Our insurance system is an absolute disaster in some cases. But the system just it, it can't carry the weight that it has. I mean, that's what's wrong with socialized health care. So you have to start rationing care. A really great way to solve that problem is to start killing people who are sick. That's going to be what happens. And now we see this propaganda is being pushed on children. There is a medical a maid is the acronym made activity for a book for kids has now been published this is by the national post canada funded this assisted suicide activity book for children like jonathan swift could not have written better satire than this i mean this is i don't even think orwell or huxley could have come up with something as sadly just ironic as this teaching children about assisted suicide just as Ottawa publicly acknowledges that its assisted suicide regime might have gone too far, critics have highlighted the existence of a little no medical assistance in dying children's activity book that was funded by the Canadian government. The activity book is intended for children who may soon be attending a medically assisted death in person, created for young people who have someone in their life who may have made. Made is defined in the booklet as the use of medicines to stop a person's body from working. How sad is this? How sad is this for a child? Can you imagine just how disturbed a child would be by this? Like, I also want to know, like, what would they be coloring in a book like this? The book describes made as a last ditch measure reserved only for consenting adults afflicted with illness or disability that hurts their body or mind so much that it feels too hard to keep living. You know what? Sometimes it feels too hard for all of us to keep living. Okay, sometimes life is really hard. Sometimes you go through serious bouts of depression. Sometimes you go through serious seasons of loss. Sometimes it's really hard to get up in the morning. That's called life. Have you heard of resilience? Like, have you heard of perseverance? Have you heard of endurance? Have you heard of the kind of spiritual and emotional and mental nourishment that we are supposed to be getting from institutions like church and like community and like friends and like family? The problem is that we are so lonely. We are so hyper-individualized. We are so... We are so incredibly isolated today that people don't have those kinds of forms of help that give you the resilience and the strength that you need to keep going like we used to do. This is the problem with godlessness. This is the problem of communitylessness. This is the problem with where Western civilization has gone that so many people do feel so desperate that they need to die. And instead of us trying to make reforms to remedy that, to say, wow, why are all these people so desperate that they are actually willing to kill themselves? How can we fix, rearrange society or reform some of the changes that we've made to make sure that people recognize the value that their life brings and make sure that people are surrounded by people who are reminding them of those things? 
Instead, we're just plunging even further into godlessness and isolation and saying, oh, you're sad about it because, of course, human beings are going to be. We were created for community. We were made in God's image, who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who is an eternal communion. And so we cannot be isolated and lonely and purposeless and and just live for long. We will die by desperation. Like instead of changing those things and recognizing where we've gone wrong, we're saying, oh, yeah, you're going to be sad. Well, why don't you just kill yourself? This is, again... The inevitable conclusion to where we've gone. This is the inevitable conclusion of progressivism. This is the inevitable conclusion of atheism. This is the inevitable conclusion to godlessness. You don't know who you are. You don't know why you're here. You don't know who created you. You don't know who gives you value. You don't have anyone in your life telling you of these things. You've been told all those things are stupid to believe that you are your own God. Of course, we're going to be depressed and despairing to the point of dying. We've got a reverse course because this is quite literally the end of civilization, which I, I, I don't think is really a coincidence. All the people in Davos, as we're going to talk about tomorrow, who were there last week, what do they constantly talk about? Overpopulation, overpopulation, overpopulation. We need to depopulate. We need to make sure that we're not having as many babies. And so this is just a part of all of that. Abortion, gender confusion, the sterilization that comes from all of those things. Forced dying, it is because of all of these Malthusian godless freaks at the World Economic Forum and throughout world governments who believe that human beings are a problem to be solved. It all goes together. And unfortunately, I think Elon is in some ways a part of that. Like, I don't do, do I think that he would like this children's activity book? No. But do I think that he just has your typical kind of technocratic atheistic mindset and it's probably more libertarian in a lot of ways than he has any kind of true, like conservative principles. Yeah, I think so. Um, there was also a man, according to national review, this was reported in December, a disabled man in Canada, his euthanasia request was, um, uh, it was approved because he requested it due to poverty. So he was disabled. He was poor. He said, I want to die. Canada said, yep, coming right up. Because of course, again, like if you don't believe people are made in the image of God and they're just a burden on society, they're not productive. You have to start measuring people by their productivity then what they can offer you if you don't measure them by any kind of innate standard of worth. And of course, why wouldn't you assist that person in dying? So we see where this goes. It's not going to stop at adults. Does any form of progressivism actually stop at consenting adults? Like we always see it going to children. We always see the consent part kind of going to the wayside. That's just how it goes. Children are always the subjects of progressive social experiments. They're always the sacrifice placed on the altar of progressivism. So we will see this getting younger and younger. We will see the ailments getting less and less destitute and desperate. And then the argument is just going to be, oh, for freedom. It's for freedom. But because we as Christians believe people are made in the image of God, because we believe that God has numbered our days, um, we don't believe that people should take their life, whether it's through a doctor or whether it's uh, themselves. And so we should stand against this because we believe in human worth and we believe in human dignity. We've got one more thing to say on that. I know this is a mega long episode. Let me tell you about our last sponsor for the day. Um, and that is, this is a very fitting offer for our uh, a very fitting sponsor and offer for what we're talking about. And that is Epic Will. So we all at some point are going to die and we need to make sure that our family is taken care of when we go. And the most important asset that you have, especially if, if you are a parent, is 
not what's in your bank account. It's not what's in your house, but it's in the car seat behind you. It's in the people that you have created, that you have invested in. You need to make sure that they are secure and they're taken care of. And I know we're young. We think it's never going to happen, but it's better to be safe than sorry and just make sure that you have a will. And it can be really overwhelming. You've got lawyer's fees. You've got to find the right person. You don't know the answers to all these questions. That's why Epic Will exists. It makes it really, really easy. If you go to epicwill.com, you can create your own will. It's really quick. They'll give you everything that you need. And hey, if you're a single mom and you want to create a will, you get it for free. That's how much they care. So go to epicwill.com slash Allie, A-L-L-I-E. You'll save 10% on your complete will package. Epicwill.com slash Allie. You'll save 10% on your complete will package. Epicwill.com slash Allie. Okay, let me end this long mega episode on something else. I know it's very morose, kind of what we're talking about today. But I, I do think it's important to bring up and then I'll be hopefully done with this horrific story. You heard me talk about this. Uh, last week that I think that the men um, that we talked about on Thursday, the couple who prostituted, pimped out their two adopted special needs sons and brutally uh, sexually assaulted them themselves, recorded it, distributed it, made money off of it. I mean, just the most egregious story that you can ever think of. At the end, I very passionately called for the death penalty for them. And I know that it is not, they're not able to get the death penalty um, for this. And some people disagree with me. I went through some of those disagreements and, you know, why I disagree with those disagreements um, last week. I don't believe, obviously, that every crime should get the death penalty. I think it should be reserved for the most heinous crimes. And I believe that there should be due process and there should be a high standard for the evidence and um, the process, the decision making that goes into um, sentencing someone to execution. Those people who are on death row, they are also made in the image of God. I believe that God can redeem them, that God can forgive them. But God's redemption and forgiveness never precludes earthly judgment or earthly justice. Like, obviously, we don't believe that we shouldn't punish crime just because God is forgiving, right? The state is not um, necessarily the arm of God's grace. The state, as we read in Romans 13, bears the sword. Justice and judgment is necessary in this life because evil occurs. We have to protect people, right? And one way to deter the most heinous crimes against other image bearers of God is the death penalty. And yes, the death penalty in these kinds of cases is biblical. There is a biblical uh, precedent for the death penalty for cases like rape and of course uh, for murder. Again, it's not for everything, but it is for some of these most heinous cases. And I absolutely believe that if you rape a child, then you should get the death penalty. But in 2008, and this is what I want to bring up, in 2008, um, there was a Supreme Court case called Kennedy v. Louisiana. And it was a Supreme Court case that was uh, centered on uh, the death penalty for a man in Louisiana who, and I'm just going to tell you, this is grotesque, who raped his eight-year-old daughter. And he was sentenced to death by the, or stepdaughter rather, in the state of Louisiana. I'm glad that he was sentenced to death. It was apparently so brutal that she was, I won't even describe. I, I read the description of what happened to her little body because her stepdad had so brutally raped her. She was so injured and so mangled that the state was so disturbed by what he had done that they sentenced him to execution. 
His lawyers appealed it. It ended up making its way to the Supreme Court. And what did the Supreme Court decide with the liberal justices plus Kennedy? But I repeat myself um, that this is a disproportionate punishment and that you cannot enact the death penalty for child rape. And so this was one of the most brutal child rape cases that any court had seen, certainly the state of Louisiana. They didn't sentence everyone who had sexually abused a child to the death penalty, but this was so bad that they decided to. Of course, Alito and Scalia and Thomas um, and Roberts, they all were in the dissent. And um, Alito, he said that the court today holds that the Eighth Amendment categorically prohibits the imposition of the death penalty for the crime of raping a child. This is so, according to the court, no matter how young the child, no matter how many times the child is raped, no matter how many children the perpetrator rapes, no matter how sadistic the crime, no matter how much physical or psychological trauma is inflicted, and no matter how heinous the perpetrator's prior prior criminal record may be. The court provides two reasons for the sweeping inclusion. First, the court claims to have identified a national consensus that the death penalty is never acceptable for the rape of a child. Second, the court includes concludes based on its independent judgment that imposing the death penalty for child uh, child rape is inconsistent with the evolving standards of decency that mark the progress of a maturing society that's what the liberals on the court said and alito says because neither of these justifications is sound i respectfully dissent this is how liberals think though they're not thinking actually in terms of justice they're thinking in terms of an evolving standard of decency whatever that means based on absolutely no objective standard or based on some kind of national consensus as if we should be basing justice on that. But then this is, again, the result of moral relativism is that you get very skewed as to what justice actually is, like what standards of right and wrong are. You find yourself showing more empathy to criminals and to child rapists than you do the actual victims and potential victims. So, yes, I believe in these heinous cases that the death penalty should be enacted for these child sex crimes, for prostituting and raping, pimping out little children. I mean, in this case, in Georgia, they were special needs children. 100%, 1000%, I do. And I, I honestly pray that one day Kennedy v. Louisiana is overturned. I do. I think it was the wrong decision by misguided liberals who have no real definition of what compassion or justice looks like. Again, I think that if we had swift justice in these cases, give them the chance, you know, give them 24 hours to hear the gospel and repent. God can do what he wants to do. And if we had swift justice after due process when it comes to these cases, we take care of this problem real quick. I say this because I care about these victims and these potential victims. And we should all care about that. And so all of this, the theme of this was protecting image bearers, vulnerable image bearers, and what that looks like. And just for people who are confused, how can you be pro-death penalty for certain crimes and how and pro-life at the same time? Those things go together because I believe in protecting innocent life. It makes no sense to be pro-abortion or pro-choice and anti-death penalty. So you actually believe that a convicted murderer or child rapist has more of a right to life than the innocent baby inside the womb? You're the one that's inconsistent. I'm not. I believe all innocent life should be protected. I believe that if you uh, murder someone or if you rape a child, then you forfeited your right to life. 
that's not true of the baby inside the womb. So it's actually you that's the hypocrite, not me. I abide by God's justice, which is in Genesis 9, 6, that we read very clearly um, that he calls for the death penalty in certain cases. And so I am not more compassionate than God. I'm not more loving than God. I am not more just than God. So I think the best thing that I can do is agree with his standards of justice. All right. That's all we've got time for today. Over an hour later, long Monday episode. I'll try to give, you know, some shorter, more punctuated episodes this week. And so we're not all bogged down with long episodes, but all of it was important to say. So thanks so much for listening and for watching. And we will be back here tomorrow. And guess what? We'll be talking about your favorite subjects. We'll be talking about the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum with one of your favorite guests and one of mine too, Justin Haskins. So make sure you tune in for that. See you guys then. Bye.